All right, we are accepting calls this hour from time travelers only. If you have traveled in time or you are presently a traveler to this time, then we want to hear from you. Otherwise, the phone lines are closed, but for that group, they are certainly open. Uh, with that in mind, uh, top of the morning to you on the wild card line. You are on the air. Hello. Hello. going on welcome back to the infinite fringe my name is billy ray valentine billy the kid and you know how we do right here on uh, on 9-11 week if you've been following what we've done for the last five six years you know we always do it up for 9-11 and um it's gonna be no different this week uh, uh thank you for tuning in and thank you for spreading the word you know you know where to find us and you know we're, we're gonna recap that at the end of the show as usual but today we have a very very special guest um from uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 truth uh, my dude, Andy Steele, is here. Andy, how are you? Welcome to your very maiden voyage on the Infinite Fringe. What's going on? Well, thank you for having me and having us at AE 911 Truth. It's an honor to be on. Well, I, 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 I thank you for being on, you know, and I thank you for your work, trying to continue, you know, to push forward a, a challenge to the narrative, to the official narrative, right? And, and we, we're going through a lot right now in, in the alternative media uh, and uh, people of alternative thought that may have a different take on on what uh, on events that had gone down, and of course we're we're getting. I'm, I'm sure you're very familiar with Alex Jones, the, the Alex Jones situation, and everything that's going on there. But it, it directly affects us. And but one thing that I, I've noticed, and I, I want to get into your book and your work. We're going to do all of that. One thing I've noticed is that um, while they're really hammering Alex Jones right now, you know. And they're talking about, uh, you know, the Sandy Hook situation and all of this stuff. They're not really touching on 9-11. You know, it's not, they're not talking about that part. And, 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 and my biggest issue with a lot of the stuff that's going on is that it's, it's, there's a lot of bull crap out there. And it's put out there on purpose, right? And we have legit, like, like you know, uh, um, research that's being done by, by the likes of you and so many others that, that is real. You know, real research into into uh, in, into an incident that happened and trying to challenge the official narrative and 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 it's getting lumped into crazy conspiracy theory, right? Yep. And, and I I've been I've been around crazy conspiracy theory for a long time. I get it, right? But it but um everything that's going on with Alex and all of that right now is 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 uh, directly affecting us and it and it may. It, it may not be a good look moving forward, right? For what they're trying to, uh, the powers that be, the elite, whomever, whomever, whatever name you have for them. Um, it, it may not be a good look for what they're planning for us in general. How do you feel about that in the atmosphere that we're currently in? Well, you know, it hasn't been a good look for them for a number of years. I mean, one of the things that first opened me up to September 11th was the way that the media reacted to very reasonable people. I remember Stephen Jones was the first person I ever saw out there talking about Building 7. I was captivated. I actually came across this information quite by accident when I was looking for something else. Uh, but then I was just hooked. I was watching all of his lectures. Right. And to see the way that the corporate media would react to these very reasonable questions that were being raised, very mm -hmm. reasonable data, um, really raised my suspicion and made me look into it more. So what I have to say to them is, you know, keep talking because all you're doing is increasing our numbers. People can see that they're being lied to. Uh, about this issue, and we've done a very good job over uh, over a decade and a half, I think AE has existed here, uh, in cementing in people's minds that we were lied to about the destruction of these three towers that fell on September 11th. And for people who are not familiar with this issue, they always think there were two towers. There were actually three, the third one, of course, being World Trade Center Building 7, which fell at 520 in the evening on that day, not hit by an airplane. And it fell straight down, symmetric, 
just like a controlled demolition. When you actually watch this video fall, and I challenge the viewers to go to YouTube, find a video without any commentary, including no commentary from us, just watch it fall for yourself. What does it look like took this building down? Right. You know, typically we're used to high-rise structures catching on fire. You see it in the news every time it happens. And they light up like a torch. Uh, and you'll see that uh, pieces of the building may fall away here and there. But in the end, you still have a steel frame skeleton standing. And a lot of times they're able to renovate it and reuse it, rent out the office spaces and go on like nothing ever happened. Uh, but in the case of World Trade Center 7, the building completely collapses uh, straight down symmetric again. Roof line pretty much stays intact as it comes down. And uh, we have never seen this before. Not only did that happen for the first time, but we also had the Twin Towers collapse because of fire uh, as well. So an event that had never occurred before happened three times in one day on September 11th that day. So immediately that should raise suspicions because when you watch Building 7 fall, and I always start there because it is the smoking gun of September 11th because it, it is, is so obvious. Right. You can see right from the start that this bit, there's something wrong with this story. <clears throat> so, of course, a lot of people out on the Internet and uh, engineers, independent engineers and such, uh, started raising the alarm about this. Now, NIST, in the, when I say NIST, uh, that is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That's the government agency tasked with giving us an explanation for why these three towers came down in the way they did. Uh, they had to tackle this and they had to come up with an explanation. And indeed, there were, I mean, there were explanations being put out by the corporate media, a lot of them debunked early on. So NIST had to give us an official one. And here's the gist of what they said. I'm going to put this in very simple terms. So um, Building 7 had sustained some damage on the corner of the building, of its, uh, you know, of its uh, uh, corner there, for lack of a better <laughs> word. But... Uh, Basically, uh, but that had nothing to do with initiating its collapse. Actually, if you go to uh, its FAQs, and the FAQs, I just cite them because they're easier to look up than digging through the entire report. Uh, they admit in the in number 21 FAQ that the fall of the North Tower and the minor damage on the corner of the building did not play any kind of significant role in bringing this building down. It did not initiate its collapse. It was not enough. I mean, there were buildings that sustained much worse damage than Building 7 in the area, and they burned. They didn't completely collapse, They, but they burned. Firefighters fought the fires, and the structures still, for the most part, remained standing. Um, but on the opposite corner of the building, we had some raging fires going on. This is, again, according to Nest, <clears throat> and that these fires got so hot that they heated up these beams that were framing into a girder. The beams expanded, pushed the girder off its seat, crashed onto the floor below, and then that floor went and then there was this whole series of events inside the building that caused the interior to fall first then the exterior that's why it looks like a controlled demolition but your government tells you that it's not that it was actually just a progressive collapse as a result of fire well there's some problems with this story first of all it had never happened before so we have an issue of precedent right but also um if you look at photographs that were taken in the on the floor where they said this happened an hour before you can clearly see that the fires are out. The fires are out in the area of collapse initiation. So in order for there to be a thermal expansion of beams, you got to have raging fires going on, but they're not there. Now that should be enough to throw the entire NIST report out the window. Of course, you know, we're not in a movie. We're uh, dealing with the federal government here. Um, so they don't really pause at that point when it's made. But also too, when you dig into their analysis, without getting too technical here, uh, you dig into their analysis, you're going to see that they left out parts of the building in order to make their collapse initiation hypothesis more viable. They left out critical structural features such as shear studs, stiffener plates. They got measurements wrong. There was a team of uh, researchers that's affiliated with us, and uh, they looked into this. They found this. We've asked NIST to make these corrections because when you actually include these proper structural features, it renders their collapse hypothesis impossible mm. couldn't happen when you actually properly uh you know factor these these uh these features in quick question i don't i don't want to i don't want to interrupt but i, I want to get this out before i forget it like so um do you think this was done maliciously or did they just mess up um at this point i mean you know when you first point out an error and they do everything they can to avoid addressing it 
uh, and avoid even, uh, you know, avoid even dealing with the science of it, which is what they're all about, NIST. Um, You know, at this point, I have to believe that it's a malicious cover up, that this is just a deliberate obscuring of the facts in order to, I mean, whatever the motivation, we don't get into complicity at 18-11 Truth or anything like that. We focus on the science. But I, I believe at this point it's beyond just a simple mistake because there's so many problems with their story that, uh, you know, it, it would be completely ridiculous and incompetent for them to, uh, to, to just simply be doing this because of errors. But, uh, but also, too, you know, the missing structural features. Now, you know, NIST likes to produce computer models to back up their claims. So they produced a computer model of World Trade Center 7. And, you know, it looks nice and everything. However, when you compare it to what actually happens in real life, side-by-side comparison, their computer model looks nothing like what happened in real life. In the computer model, the building begins to turn on itself, like one of those novelty soda cans with the sunglasses. It's all twisting around. Um, And, of course, in real life, as most of us know, the building came straight down. NIST also doesn't model the entire fall of this building. They stop at the point of collapse initiation, right as the building begins to twist. I wonder why, because it's Hmm. looking nothing like uh, what really happened. And they stop it there and they just make this assumption. Oh, yeah, the rest is just, uh, you know, you can expect what's going to happen following that. Now, they're tasked with finding out why this building came down in the straight down symmetrical way that it did. I say model the entire collapse, but they wouldn't do that. But there was somebody who did do that. Dr. Uh, Leroy Halsey at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He uh, was headed a study that was uh, funded by AE 9-11 Truth at that university. And uh, part of the study was that he had to try to replicate NIST's findings, try to make it happen in his own computer model using uh, engineering software. He could not replicate what actually happened in real life based on anything that NIST said, anything that NIST claimed in its reports. However, he did end up replicating what happened in real life, not by following NIST's uh, story, but simply by taking out the interior columns, followed by the exterior columns a few seconds afterwards. And in his model, you see it comes straight down symmetric, just like what we saw. Now, the UAF study is just looking at the technical aspects of uh, the entire matter, so they're not getting into any further conclusions. However, think about it. How do you remove the core columns and the exterior columns at the same time? Fire is an organic, chaotic process. It cannot do that. The only way you can do that is through controlled demolition, which, of course, is our conclusion at AE 9-11 Truth. We don't just think it's a controlled demolition. We know it was a controlled demolition. And of course, Andy, we do we do we have a I'm sorry to interrupt you again. I'm just hold that thought. Do we have a write up of uh, of that study that you guys funded? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's available at the UAF website. I believe we have a uh, we have a link to it here on our site. And again, this is not just architects and engineers putting out the study. This is the University of Alaska Fairbanks reputable engineering school. So um, there is a summary available online. And uh, I mean, I can provide you a link to that after the show. Did we get it peer reviewed? Uh, Yeah, I mean, basically, it has been looked at in every every debunker. I mean, anytime that we do something, right? I mean, they come out of the woodwork. They wanted the input data on our models. They wanted everything. Every time it uh, it goes up, they have, people are looking at it. So they're looking for flaws. They're looking for right. issues with our our models and all of that. They haven't found any serious issues with it so far. And um, and we should we should want that. By the way, we should we should want you know uh, the scrutiny, you know, and have oh, oh. have the the mainstream community come and take a look, you know, and see what they can. And, and if we're wrong, we're wrong. But if we're right, you know, that they should acknowledge that. Now, what's what's this response to it? Did they ever respond to this? Uh, as far as to my knowledge, they haven't given any kind of significant response to it. Now, you're talking about peer review and uh, and being able to have all the data out there for everyone mm-hmm. to see. What's interesting about this now, all our data is out there. Again, there were debunkers trying to get their hands on it within days of it being uh the study being published and we right. made that available. Um, but NIST, when you ask for the input data on their World Trade Center 7 model, they say they can't provide that. Mm. And with their excuses, that it would jeopardize public safety if they released that input data. Well, somehow, so, right? well, the building doesn't exist anymore. Um, and if the conclusion <laughs> is that it's just random fires, 
that's not really a Mission Impossible uh, type of uh, scheme by any right. kind of uh, hypothetical terrorist just starting fires and running. So uh, there is really no uh, public safety issue. They just simply don't want to release it. But that is their excuse. They won't release it. So you've got two models with different conclusions. One keeps its data under lock and key. One doesn't. I mean, which one are you going to find more valid in a logical world where it's not 9-11 and uh, there's no uh, cognitive dissonance or politics associated with the issue? So there are major uh, flaws with a NIST World Trade Center 7 report. And I say this. Uh, even if you don't like what I'm saying, even if you don't agree, even if you don't, you can't possibly believe this could be true, that it was controlled demolition. Why not simply rerun the analysis to deal with all of the questions, not just from me, not just from the over 3000 architects and engineers, actually 3,500 at this point, architects and engineers that we represent, but also the 9-11 family members, the people who lost their loved ones in this uh, horrible event that still affects our country to this day. Rerunning the analysis is the most logical thing you can do. I mean, we paid all these monies for these reports and there's, you know, they've ignored observable facts. They've gotten data wrong. And uh, we've tried to submit a request for correction to NIST regarding this. Um, and of course, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't correct anything as a result of it. We appealed it. Now we've tried to sue them. Um, we're going to be uh, appealing that decision because the judges are claiming that as citizens, we don't have standing to challenge any kind of government reports. It's a little scary because it's, it's beginning to look like the precedent is that they don't, the government's not even obligated to give an accurate report to the American people. <laughs> um, so there's some deeper implications regarding that. We've covered that on my show. But, um, but I mean... You know, regarding World Trade Center 7, I mean, there's people on the street that day reporting a shockwave ripping throughout the building. Um, we have numerous accounts of explosions from first responders that day. I mean, at least 118 first responders, and that's being conservative. Uh, professor Graham McQueen, he's a uh, professor out of Canada. He did a study of the oral histories taken by, by the fire department, and he was very conservative in what he did with this. He looked for, ex uh, for exact words in their description. So if they just said, I heard a boom, well, a boom could be anything. A boom could be a mailbox falling over or something. But if they did, if they distinctly said explosion, then uh, he counted it among these accounts. And again, we have 118 reports of these from the first responders conservatively. Uh, and so, you know, you look at World Trade Center 7, you realize the impossibility of the government story and you watch it. It looks like a controlled demolition. That is the most obvious hypothesis. Then you look at the Twin Towers, because most of us think we know what happened to the Twin Towers. We watched the airplanes crash into the buildings and we think that we know uh, what the explanation is. And indeed, they had engineers on the scene that day or actually on TV talking about it, giving out their hypotheses. But it took years for NIST to come out and give a full story or at least give their official story. Now, interestingly enough, uh, a professor out of Northwestern University, uh, Professor Zdenik Bazant, came up with an explanation uh, within a few days of the event taking place before any kind of serious study could be done. And this is what NIST adopted when they, uh, when they wrote their official reports. So let's, uh, let's start with NIST's explanation for what happened. So I want your audience to think about uh, one of the Twin Towers. We'll just use one of them. And imagine it broken up into three sections. You've got the lower floors at the bottom where there's no action happening. You've got the middle section where the airplane's impacted, and then you got the top block above it. So according to NIST, the airplanes went into that middle section, and uh, <clears throat> all the jet fuel sprayed out. Fireproofing was knocked off of uh, you know the internal uh, steel structures, and... The fires got so hot, it caused the beams to sag. It pulled the exterior inward, and when the top went, it went like a pile driver, driving the building all the way to the bottom, while also somehow near the end uh, destroying itself because we never see a big pile driver top block sitting on the rubble at ground zero. You can actually see that in Bazan's sketches in his paper. He just shows the top block doing all this work, and then it just suddenly disappears in the end. Now, there's some obvious problems with this explanation. Uh, first of all, uh, NIST relies a lot on this jet fuel and the heat of this jet fuel. But keep in mind that the airplanes themselves were small compared to the towers themselves. 
and then the fuel tanks were smaller parts of those planes. So that's all that was being held of the jet fuel after the planes crashed into them. And a lot of that jet fuel was spent in those massive fireballs that shot outside of the building. In fact, we've got a firefighter on radio saying that we've got two isolated pockets of fire. We should be able to knock it down with two lines there. So, you know, talking about these extreme fires that uh, did all of this, I mean, the fires were not as extreme as they would have you to believe. Uh, But also, too, with this top block crushing all the way down, when we watched the building come down, first of all, this top block disappears within the first four seconds of its fall. So it's not there anymore to be able to drive the building down. Also, Graham McQueen again and Tony Zambodi, a mechanical engineer, they did a study using physics software of uh, one of the tower's falls, and they see that as this top block hits the lower portion, there is no deceleration uh, present. So basically, like think about a hammer hitting a nail. Even if you drive that nail through the board with tremendous force, the hammer is still going to slow down as it hits that nail because it's meeting some resistance there. But in the case of the top blocks, there is no resistance. It actually accelerates on the way down. And the only way that is possible is if that bottom structure is being removed simultaneously. And that, of course, does not jive with Bazan's conclusions, does not jive with NIST's adoption of those conclusions. Again, justifies a new investigation. Interestingly enough, too, you can actually see this, and I saw a really good angle over the, of this over the weekend. Um, you, on the South Tower, the top block begins to pivot in place mm. and it starts to fall to the side as if it's going to fall onto the plaza below, which would have been horrible as well to have happened. But then it writes itself because there's a, a, a different force acting on it. The core columns are being removed at the same time that it's beginning to pivot so it's able to right itself or change its direction and fall into the middle of the building and then disappear there. Uh, On the North Tower, that's the one they had the antenna on it, the antenna falls first, indicating that the core columns are being taken out first before this top block begins to come down. All right, that is huge. That is significant because it shows that there was internal uh, action happening here on these columns. Now, if you listen to the corporate media, what they'll have you believe is that these were just, uh, you know, poorly designed buildings, as if it was just a (laughs) couple of concrete slabs being held by the outside. Right, right, right. right. You know, and and, I mean, thousands of people are going to work each day in these for, good God, what was it, like 30 years or so? And They they uh, were hailed as modern marvels, you know, throughout you know, prior to 9-11, for them to say that that is, that, you know, they were poorly uh, built is laughable because you can clearly prove otherwise just based on the rhetoric that was going on in the mainstream and in the way they were being built throughout history is, uh, is uh, you know, that's funny that you, you would say something like that. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. And so, I mean, that is not true. I remember Nova because they were throwing out early hypotheses uh, before Mm-hmm. Nets came out with its reports, and they put a, put together this computer animation showing the floors hitting each other like it's a pancake collapse. Of course, that was thrown out because there aren't stacked floors at uh, ground zero. And in their animation, the core columns are still standing, so it's like records falling on a spindle. And, of course, that's not what we saw in real life. So that animation, it was pretty, but it didn't uh, – it, it was useless because right. it did not model what happened in real life. Um, another issue is that NIST's entire – hypothesis or conclusion, I should say, relies on this fireproofing being knocked off the floors when the airplanes hit. Now, in the, uh, let's use the North Tower here, um, and they actually say this here. I'm actually going to read a portion from NIST that I prepared. It says, from the limited number of recovered structural elements, no conclusive evidence was found to indicate that pre-collapse fires were severe enough to have a significant effect on the microstructure that would have resulted in weakening of the steel structures. And they also say the towers, uh, le- the towers likely would not have collapsed under the combined effects of aircraft impact and subsequent multi-floor fires encountered on September 11, 2001, if the insulation had not been widely dislodged or had been only minimally dislodged by the aircraft impact. So on the North Tower, this says that the <clears throat> collapse initiated on the 98th floor. They have to say that from watching the videos, right? But only the tip of the wing of the airplane touched that floor. 
it sustained very minor damage when that airplane went into it. So it could not have knocked the fireproofing insulation off on that floor. So how did the collapse initiate on that floor? By their own words, their entire conclusion relies on this insulation being blown off by the impact. And in, But yet on the floor where they say it started, it wasn't. That right there is enough to throw the entire NIST report out the window. But of course, again, uh, the government agency that was tasked with looking into this is not really interested in the truth. Another point for your listeners to or your viewers uh, to think about is that NIST admitted that the Twin Towers fell essentially at free fall, right? Well, when you remember back to September 11th, we remember these uh, towers turning into powder in midair. Remember this powder being dispersed throughout and beyond Manhattan that day, right? So it's being pulverized in midair. Now, you would assume that you need a hard collision of materials to turn concrete into powder in midair. Yet, the buildings are falling essentially at freefall. We have a contradiction here. So the buildings are pretty much meeting no resistance on the way down, yet there's some kind of hard impact of materials happening to pulverize the concrete. NIST has never really accounted for this either, but that justifies logic. You can't have those kind of contradictions in science. You have to explain them. The only explanation, of course, is controlled demolition, but they won't go there. Luckily, we do. Uh, you can see explosions, mistimed, going off far below the collapse line. We call these squibs. All right. These are demolition charges that are, are off the timer. You know, they went off prematurely for whatever reason. The collapse is happening up here. And I use that term loosely collapse. And down here, you see little micro ejections coming out. These are well documented by many people here in the 9-11 truth movement. And then we have the extreme temperatures going on. You know, in the South Tower, you can see the molten metal flowing out of the building. It is bright orange. Now, NIST will say, oh, that is molten aluminum from the airplane streaming out. However, aluminum is silver in daylight conditions. It was a bright blue Tuesday morning, as we all remember, on September 11th. This was bright orange. And what's funny is that when uh, Shyam Sunder was confronted with this on in an interview, Shyam Sunder was one of the lead investigators on the NIST report. He uh, says, oh, you know, you can see it. It's, it's uh, silver coming out of that building. So basically what they're telling you is that what you actually see is not true, that uh, you can clearly see that it's orange. And he just goes out, lies or mistaken, who knows. But he basically goes out and says the opposite. It's silver. So they can't even get their facts straight over at NIST about this thing that they're supposed to be the experts of. Um, so just so many problems with this official story. And I haven't even gotten into the, you know, what was found in the dust and the extreme temperatures yet. But I want to give you a chance to speak if you have any questions. Well, you know, um, this is not my area, right? Like <laughs> I am not in, a, I always tell people whenever I'm doing activism and they start talking about, you know, um, uh, the, the architectural aspects of what happened that day. I just tell them, listen, I'm not an architect, man. Cause I'm not right. So if, if I start talking in that regard, right. And I start t telling people about all this stuff, they'll be like, well, who the hell are you? And they'd be right. Who the hell am I? So I just point them to you guys. I'm like, if you want answers to this, AE 911 truth, right. They, they will, they will be able to, to provide you with, uh, with uh, adequate information and these are architects and engineers, like you know, not me, right? Um, so I, I listen to what you have to say, and I, I really can't uh, can't challenge it in any way, you know, because I I am not the appropriate person to, to do that. Now I I don't believe you guys are malicious. I've I've been dealing with architects and engineers for a long long time. You guys are good people, and 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 I know that um, that we we just seek to find the truth, you know. And and, and what I want to do here is engage the mainstream along with it, engage a mainstream academia, engage them in the debate, right? And say, well, come over here, take a look at this, you know? And and uh, try to challenge it, try to see if it's, you know, if, if we can replicate our findings, you know, and, and go on from there to try to build uh, legitimacy. There's a lot of legitimacy already built into the 9-11 truth movement as opposed to 99% of quote-unquote conspiracies that are out there right now. You know, um, this is legit. You know, what's what's going on with the 9-11 truth movement 
But what's most important that I think you guys are doing is you're keeping it alive. You know, you're, you're, it's, it's been a whole hell of a long time now. And, uh, you know, I always say this, but I don't want it to turn into JFK. We're still talking about JFK years and years later, but nothing's going to happen. You know, even if we even even if we come up with the you know we, we, and point the right fingers at the right people, nothing going to happen. It's it's done. It's over. You know, so people can say, yeah, you know, he was assassinated by the government or whatever. It was a ritual, whatever. They can say whatever they want. It doesn't matter. Bottom line of it, I don't want nine eleven to turn into that, right? And uh, <clears throat> uh, the more we go along, right, the 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 more likely it is that it will turn into that with time. Um, so I'm very glad you guys are doing what you're doing and you guys are challenging it and you guys are getting like uh, academia involved and you're asking this to, to, to correct things. It's This is real, legit investigations into something that went down, that there are obvious, obvious questions to be answered here, right? And I, I like I told you before we went on air, I was in the city when these towers collapsed. I used to work in the towers. One of my good friends in life was in the towers that day up high in one of the in in, a, in one of the highest. Uh, I think it was it was it was in the 90s. I think he was he was in the 90th floor around there or whatever. Um, and uh, he rushed down. He was uh, he was at, uh, at at the lobby level at one point. And according to, to him, he felt. um I don't, I don't know if explosions are the right word, but, but, but vibrations from the bottom up, hmm. you know, and he's, he's always said this to me, you know, he had no reason to lie to me. You know, he's not, he's not on the alternative media. He's not looking to, to, to seek any, uh, not seeking any attention, but he always told me he, he felt it from the bottom up. There was also this one guy, I don't know what's happened to him since, but maybe, maybe you can shed a little bit of light, Andy. Um, he was not William Rodriguez. William Rodriguez was the the janitor, but but uh, there was another guy, a Honduran fellow, um, that was in in the basement, and he was burnt up to a crisp, and they gave him money to be quiet. Now I, I'm I'm familiar with the community, and I am friends with someone that he is friends with, you know, and I always tried to to get access, but they wouldn't grant it. He wouldn't talk to anyone. He wouldn't talk to anyone. But but. Literally, they gave him a ton of money and told him to shut up, and he did. And that was it. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of, even on that level, there's questions. And that's what I, what I stick to when I do activism on 9-11. I stick to something I can prove, you know, or, 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 or questions that I can answer as a layman, you know. So that's why I'm very grateful that you guys are doing what you're doing because it adds so much legitimacy to the movement. You know, so, so much information that, that we can point to as academic you know, to move our our um, our challenge to the to the narrative across. Go ahead, Andy, and we're going to get into, into your book after this. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and that's why we stick to what we know. We stick to the what actually happened. We don't get into complicity. We don't get into other areas of September 11. Certainly, if uh, if it gets acknowledged what uh, really happened at the World Trade Center, I would like the powers that be to investigate the whole matter as a result. But there's also a three-dimensional aspect to what we do. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, let's say some 15-year-old kid is watching this right now. He gets it in his mind, all of this information. Maybe 20 years from now, he's a congressman. And so the next 9-11 happens, and they have the next Patriot Act come across his desk. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to sign on to this all, you know, too fast right here. I want to look into this a little bit more because I don't necessarily trust what we're being told about this. And that mm -hmm. is thanks to the efforts of shows like yours, efforts of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, and so many others around there creating this culture of information and uh, news and such uh, on the internet. So, you know, even if we never got a new investigation, which I think we will, I really do believe that. Um, but even if we didn't, we're still having an impact on society and reminding everybody that they lied about this. What else could they be lying about? And, you know, getting into like the third aspect of this, because I always break it down, World Trade Center 7, Twin Towers, and then the extreme heat. Uh, you know, we had fires burning for weeks in the mm -hmm, pile mm -hmm. down there at Ground Zero, mm -hmm. uh, buried under, uh, uh, you know, right there. They would lift up steel and they would find fires burning. They'd find a little river of steel melting was described. We had fused iron and, and uh, concrete down there where they were calling certain parts of it meteors, you know, out there. And uh, 
when asked about this, Cheyenne Sunder, again, one of the lead investigators on the NIST report, he said, well, maybe the fires were covered and they got so hot because they were covered. Well, that defies common sense because covered fires are oxygen starved. They get less hot. Fires need oxygen in order to, uh, you know, keep themselves going. Right, That's what right. you see in old shows when people would cover a fire with a blanket, you know. So, you know, what is accounting for this? And we also got reports of melted steel, melted iron down there at the site from various first responders. Actually, if you watch our film, Blueprint for Truth, <coughs> excuse me. God bless. If you watch our, thank you. If, if you watch our film, you can see one after another, an entire segment of uh, <clears throat> various people who are there on the scene reporting molten steel, molten iron. You can see it in falling from the South Tower that day. So what is accounting for this? And, you know, it's become this meme out there to attack the 9-11 truth movement by, by making a joke of the of the statement, jet fuel can't melt steel. Yeah. But just because they've made a joke of it doesn't mean it's any less true. Right. Uh, structural steel cannot melt until around 2,750 degrees. Um, the jet fuel can only get up to about, I believe, 1,800, right? So there's a, almost like a 1,000 degrees temperature that's not accounted for for melting of the steel. And what the other side will say is, oh, the steel didn't need to melt in order for the beams to sag and all of this. But that doesn't account for the fact that the steel did melt. So we need an accounting for this. We need to find out why this happened on that day. So NIST had no interest in looking into this any deeper, but there was a team of scientists led by Dr. Niels Herrett out of Copenhagen, Denmark, that looked at the World Trade Center dust. And uh, one of the first things to establish here is that the dust, what made it so distinguishable as being from the World Trade Center is that they had these little iron microspheres all throughout it. They were so prevalent that other studies that were done by people who weren't looking for uh, anything deeper on September 11th used these iron microspheres to distinguish the World Trade Center dust from what they call background dust. That's dust that has nothing to do with the World Trade Center disaster. Right. And uh, when Niels Harris team looked into this, what they found uh, analyzing this dust, they found these little red gray chips all throughout them. And uh, they did some tests on them. And uh, they had uh, the elements of aluminum iron oxide, which is the same elements of, an, of a chemical called thermite. Mm. Thermite has been used in demolitions in the past. In fact, there are patents for structural steel cutter charges that existed. They, they utilized the thermite through a narrow channel. I remember years ago, there was a National Geographic special trying to debunk us. So they put hefty bags full of thermite on a beam. And of course, it didn't cut through it. <clears throat> you know, it was a bad experiment because it overlooked the, the fact that there was these structural steel cutter charges. And uh, Jonathan Cole, a great 9-11 researcher and engineer, was able to create what he called the thermitic box cutter right in his backyard. I mean, with materials he had available and cut steel beams, just like uh, we believe was done at the World Trade Center. So it is, pot, you know, it is a, a, a very reasonable explanation. So they look at this and they test these red gray chips. They do ignition tests on them. And one of the things that the other side says when it comes to these red gray chips is that it's, oh, it's just primer paint. Oh, you're just jumping at uh, phantoms here. It's just primer paint. Right. Well, you can see a YouTube video, if they haven't pulled it yet, of a side-by-side -side comparison of these red gray chips and a primer paint chip. And when they do the ignition test, the primer paint chip turns black and wilts, as you would expect it to. But these red gray chips light up. They flash. And then they form the iron microspheres that we were so prevalent in the World Trade Center dust so it has a thermitic reaction now they believe these is like a special kind of thermite it's called nanothermite um which is you know more high grade you would need something uh you know from like a military <laughs> lab uh to get this stuff it's not just like regular thermite you can get out on the internet so um another thing that they did just to debunk this primer paint theory from the other side is they put it in a paint solvent they put these red grade chips in the paint in a paint solvent left them in there for 55 hours. Now, if it was paint, it's a paint solvent, it would disappear and, uh, you know, get soft and disappear. And in this case, uh, they remained hardened after 55 hours immersed in this uh, solvent. So there's major problems there. There's major problems with just what you can find right there in the pictures that NIST has access to. I mean, in, in Appendix C of the FEMA report, FEMA went and did an initial study early on back in 2002, I believe. And they document a steel member that has holes in it, like Swiss cheese. Like the steel was like pretty much evaporated out of it. 
You know, that takes 4,000 degree temperatures. What is accounting for this? You can see John Gross, another investigator on the NIST report, posing there in his blue jeans and hard hat next to chemically damaged steel with holes in it. Um, and then, yeah, you know, later on, later on goes to claim uh, that, you know, they saw no evidence of melted steel or anything that uh, we are talking about here at AE 9-11 Truth. So this is just absolute dishonesty going on from the people that we trusted to do these reports. We have the chemical signature of what they used. The most reasonable hypothesis is the one proposed by AE 9-11 Truth. And of course, when we ask NEST to simply test their World Trade Center dust samples for explosives or incendiaries, uh, we assume they have those that dust. They say, we're not going to do it. When you ask them why, they say, because we don't expect to find anything. Well, what kind of circular logic is this? What kind of science is this? Where we don't expect to find anything, so we're not going to look for it. It's a very clever way of getting around. Well, it's actually not even that clever. I shouldn't even say that. But it's, it's just a very sneaky way of getting around not doing your due diligence and not dealing with an issue uh, that is just the elephant in the room for a lot of people in this country. And they would, because they would have to come forward and admit that they're reports were basically a waste of everybody's time and money, which they were. So this is why we still exist. This is why we keep on beating the drum. This is why we're suing NIST, where we're submitting requests for corrections and keeping this issue alive. Because even if NIST continues to stonewall, as I said earlier, we are reaching hearts and minds. We are reaching people out there. Most people now, when I talk to them, say they agree with us. Oh, right. They have this attitude that, oh, what can I do about it? But at the same time, it still works into the public consciousness. And I really do believe we're influencing the future by talking about this all the time. Right. There's this, uh, the film, uh, The Unspeakables, I think. Uh, it, it has over over a, a, a half a million views on YouTube right now. You know, and, and that's that's fantastic. You know, be it that, be it that YouTube just rips everything down. And uh, we still have a presence there with this film, which is excellent. You know, um... Also, you have your new graphic novel. I definitely want to touch on this before we get up out of here. Uh, Born on 9-11. Now, this is pretty cool. Look at that. Yeah. Hold on. He goes, he's holding it up. The cover art is dope. Go. It looks really, yeah. really nice. Who, who took care of that for you? Well, uh, uh, our great marketing guy, Jeff Long, designed the cover. I did all the art on the inside. It's, dope. it's like a comic book. It's fantastic. Like, I mean, it, it looks really, really dope. I'm going to get my hands on one of them. I spoke to Andy beforehand. I want an autograph copy, of course. You know how I do. But <laughs> let's talk about this. I, I think this was a, 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 a great way to introduce people that, uh, you know, that may not know uh, about uh, what happened on that day or, or maybe just wrapped up in the mainstream narrative. I think this is a hell of a way to introduce them to something different and having, you know, sparking the mind. And as a result of your your graphic novel, they, they can they can spin off and maybe do some research. And, you know, who knows what we might get out of it. I think this is an excellent idea. Tell us about the book, Andy. Absolutely. You know, one of our challenges at AE 911 Truth, because, you know, we can talk about the evidence and people are shocked when they first hear it, but then they get used to it. And, um, you know, and, and then it becomes old hat. So we got to find new, creative, clever ways to get the information out there. And we make documentary right. films like you just talked about, The Unspeakable. But, uh, you know, we always are looking for different ways. And so one of the things that uh, came to me was that, you know, I have some art skills here and uh, I started doing it as a hobby. And I thought, you know, I'm a, I, I can come up with good uh, fixed stories and good uh, art and stuff. And I thought about JFK when I was a kid. My mom made me watch that and that had an impact on me. And I always remembered it. And I thought, you know, that did a lot for waking people up to the issues there. 9-11 um, needs something like that, and I don't have the resources that Oliver Stone does, so I couldn't uh, make a movie, but I could make a comic book, so I worked on it for a long time, and I uh, came up with a story. The story is about an 18-year-old. He's a fictional person, but it is sort of loosely based on various people that have sprung up over the years in the movement. Um, but he's, uh, he was born on September 11th. At the same moment, his father, uh, a New York City firefighter, went into the North Tower to save more lives and was killed when the building came down. And then when uh, Kevin, that's the main character, reaches the age of 18, he begins to question, why did these towers come down? He comes across information from AE 9-11 Truth. So he starts looking into it and he's a very shy kid, but he starts uh, coming out of his shell and talking more about it. And then when as he begins to do more with this issue, it starts to awaken these forces 
within our country that are trying to keep this suppressed. And so I don't want to give away uh, major plot points in it. I want everybody to read it. But uh, it, it's a story about that, and it's uh, what another radio host uh, called Faction a few days ago when I was on his show. Um, and that is the best way to to uh, say it. There's fictional characters in this, but there's also real people, such as Bob McElvain, whose son Bobby died as he was entering the North Tower that morning uh, lobby. He was killed by an explosion. Um, it's got Tony Zambodi. I mentioned his name earlier, uh, mechanical engineer. It's got Roland Engel, our current CEO, is in it, does a cameo. And so, and it also incorporates a lot of uh, real life videos I, I recreated through art uh, that a lot of people in the 9-11 Truth movement are used to, such as those firefighters describing like uh, like the explosions going around the, the, the Twin Towers like a belt. Boom, 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 boom. We've create, recreated a, a lot of that to add to the story as well. So it's 380 pages. Uh, you're right. It's like a big comic book. Yeah, it took a long time to make, but uh, it's available at our store, ae911truth.org. Just click on the store tab there, and all the proceeds go to AE to help out with our important mission. I'm not making anything off of it. The, we get that, and uh, it helps keep the lights on here and keeps us talking about this issue. And it's a great outreach tool. The last chapter of this, without giving anything away, is actually uh, lays out the evidence perfectly. It lays out our evidence, the other side's counter, and then our answer to that. So it will arm you with information if you want to take this issue forward and start arguing with your friends about it. Sounds incredible. That's that's fantastic, and and it's uh, you know, it's it's admirable. We admire you for for you know, you're not really taking a cut here. You're just trying to get the information out, keeping the lights on. I can understand 100. percent That's very dope. That's very awesome. I'll be sure to support. I'm going to put the link to the movie in the description notes, and I'm going to put a link to the where you can get the book as well in the description notes. So go ahead and uh, and check that if you're listening right now and you're interested. Before we get out of here, Andy, what are we doing? What's going to happen on September 11th, 2022? What's the deal? What do you guys got planned? Well, we operate as a team here, and we do have things planned, uh, but I can't announce it yet. I have to wait for the uh, for the big announcement. But we do have plans for the anniversary, and uh, well, he can't. Let me let me interject here. He can't announce it yet because we are um, we are uh, pre-recording this, so this is being recorded in late August, but uh, it's going to air on the week of of nine eleven. So that's why he can't. You know, it's going to sound weird. It's like 9-11 like three days away. Why can't you say it? So uh, that so that, that's why he can't say it. But anyway, go ahead, sir. Oh, yeah. And and so but go to AE911truth.org. You're going to see exactly what we're doing on the anniversary and all the uh, great people we will be talking to at that time. And we're going to have some really cool news potentially here around the anniversary, too. So keep an eye out for that. The best way that you can keep track of us is by signing up for our emails. Just simply go to ae911truth.org, hit subscribe, put your name and your email address in there, and you'll be getting bulletins. You'll be getting all the news of all the developments regarding our uh, court case with NIST, uh, all of our outreach activities. You'll be getting our podcast that I host, 9-11 Freefall, with all the great guests that we bring on. It'll be going right to your inbox, so you don't even have to do any work on the internet. It comes to you. So please consider signing up for those emails and keeping abreast of what goes on with us. Absolutely fantastic. The future of 9-11 Truth. How does it look for you? I think that, uh, look, I think it's very hopeful. There's a lot going on in the world right now that is... Uh, affecting people in different ways and it's causing people to who thought I was crazy years ago to turn around and say, yeah, you got a point there. And <laughs> it wasn't even because of anything I said, it was because of something else in some other area or issue that uh, made them suspicious. And I think a lot of people's eyes are opening. I think the overall world is going to go through some trouble. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, a prophet or anything like that. I'm not looking in a crystal ball. I'm just applying some kind of logic and common sense to what I'm seeing. So I think there's going to be a lot more darkness out there um, for your average person. But I think at the end of it, we're going to see a light. I think a lot of people are going to be awakened and you're going to see some uh, new developments occur in the society. And when all that happens, we can just simply hand them our draft legislation called the Bobby McIlvain Act, which is legislation for a new investigation and uh they'll be more open to it so we just got to keep going and keep uh talking about this and i think we are having a huge impact so from that perspective i think it's very bright i love your optimism your optimism sir very good 
Thank you for coming on at the Infinite Fringe. Tell the people where they can find you. I mean, you already did that kind of, but uh, reiterate if you need to. Sure. AE911truth.org. That is the mothership. And then uh, my <laughs> website is 911freefall.com. I, re- I host the podcast for AE. I've been doing it longer than two presidential terms. It's been like 10 years now. We've been Get doing it. Uh, wow. Yep. And wow. we've gone to video now, too. That's hence why I have the whole setup behind me now. So uh, you started off with audio, but we keep on evolving, upping our you. game. Fantastic. All right. We're going to put all those links uh, in the information for, for the show here today. Andy, thank you for joining us. Hold on. Do not hang up. This is the Infinite Fringe. You know how we do every week. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening. Subscribe and share. You know the whole deal. I don't even want to go over it, man. But uh, um, I, I do want to say thank you to all of you for, for tuning in week after week after week. 9-11 Truth, keep getting it out there, man. It's the reason I'm here. I wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't for that event. It had an incredible effect on my life. You guys already know that. I was uh, completely bought into the mainstream narrative until somebody shook me awake, you know, um, and uh, and I was here to witness it. It was it's just uh, uh, watch that film. Watch the link, uh, the link uh, below uh, to uh, the unspeakable. It, it's um, it's sad <laughs> to say the least, but it's it's. Um, necessary it's necessary go 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 watch it it's um it's informative it's sad but it's also very necessary i I enjoyed watching it last night and it made me very very sad but uh but i i am very grateful for everybody involved that put that film on thank you shouts to bernadette what's up bernadette all right we're getting up out of here billy the kid it's the infinite fringe do your thing do not burn the place down while i'm gone all right you guys take it easy bye-bye don't hang up buddy